competitive about having the grit and resilience to bounce back from adversity. Welcome to the Competitive Mindset Podcast. Each interview, we talk to leaders who differentiate themselves and achieve high levels of performance through the lens of motivation, competitiveness, and mindset. These conversations lead to thought-provoking idea sharing and growth accompanied by entertaining storytelling. Welcome along on our journey to lifelong learning, improved performance, and a look inside the competitive mindset. Check out the Competitive Mindset website for a full catalog of episodes and interview review articles. You can find the site at competitive-mindset.com or through our social media at CompetitivePod. Billy Keckler Basketball is scheduling for summer camps. If your youth program or high school teams are looking for out-of-season skill and team development, BKB will come to your community and instruct skills and concepts that fit into your program's mission. For more information and inquiries, email billykeglerbasketball at gmail.com. BKB is a unique player experience. The Greatest Games Podcast interviews coaches of all levels about the greatest games they have ever been a part of. Chris and Brian post two episodes per week that explore these great games and also takes a dive into each coach's journey and some lessons that they have learned along the way. Catch The Greatest Games Podcast on all podcast platforms as well as thegreatestgames.podbean.com. Alan Stein, welcome to The Competitive Mindset. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful to be here. Well, I'm excited to hear about some of your stories and experiences. So let's start by you taking us through your journey through life and how it's led you to where you are right now. Sure. I'll give you the Cliff Notes version because I'm 45 years old. So if I paint the picture too uh, definitively, this could take a long time. Uh, I think the most important thing to know is that I fell in love with the game of basketball at four years old. Uh, and here, 40 years later, basketball is still a major pillar in my life. And I say that uh, because I'm incredibly grateful uh, that I've been able to, to make a life and make a living uh, around something that I'm truly passionate about. And uh, the reason that was able to, to happen was I learned at a very early age that the key to being happy and fulfilled and successful is to find what you're pretty good at, where your natural talents lie, find what you love to do and what you're very passionate about, and then find where those two things intersect. And wherever those two things intersect, that's called your strength zone. And the more time you can spend working in your strength zone, the happier and more fulfilled and uh, more successful you'll be. So with that said, uh, I was a, a pretty decent high school player here in the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, I then played at Elon, a small school down in North Carolina. Uh, and this is in the mid to late 90s. And then I decided while I was at Elon that I wanted to be a basketball performance coach. Uh, that I wanted to combine my original love of basketball with, at the time, a very newfound love of strength and conditioning and fitness. Uh, so I became a basketball performance coach when I graduated, and I did that for almost 20 years, uh, working mostly at the high school age level, uh, but then was able to earn some opportunities to do some work for Nike and Jordan Brand and USA Basketball. So I've had an opportunity to work with some pretty elite level players and teams. Uh, and then four years ago, I decided to reinvent myself and make another pivot and leave the direct basketball training space and go into corporate keynote speaking. Uh, and that's what I do currently. Uh, I teach executives and businesses and brands uh, how to utilize the same mindsets and rituals and routines uh, of NBA players and show them how to apply that to their business. So you mentioned four years old, falling in love with basketball. Can you tell me a story or a time you remember the first time you really competed in something and that competitive drive came out for you and what it was? 
You know, I was really uh, heavily attracted to anything that I could expend energy and physical energy as a kid. So while basketball was really my first identifiable passion, uh, I loved every sport and every activity. I mean, anything that I could move and get a sweat, I just enjoyed doing and I naturally gravitated towards. So, you know, of course, this was uh, traditional sports like basketball and soccer and football and baseball. Uh, but I, I did skateboarding and BMX biking and martial arts and, you know, love jumping rope and, you know, any, anything that was, that revolved, you know, involved some type of athleticism and coordination and energy uh, I was into. And of course, inherently uh, that's going to kind of lead towards some type of competition, you know, whether you're competing against yourself, you know, how many times can I jump rope in a minute uh, or you're competing against someone else or another team. So competitiveness was kind of inherently mixed into all of the things I was attracted to. So uh, I even remember, uh, you know, uh, going to field day and we would have a series of things in school one, on one day per year where you'd compete in a bunch of events against others. And I vividly remember, you know, being in first and second grade and, and taking that so seriously and, and loving the competition and, you know, feeling immense gratification when I won and being really, really upset to the point of tears uh, when I would lose. And, you know, thankfully with, with some age and hopefully wisdom and maturity, uh, I've learned to handle losing a little bit better now. Um, but I just remember that, that that edge of competition was something I was always heavily attracted to. So that edge of competition is a good way to kind of classify finding and continuing on success. But when has that maybe edge of competition been a detriment to you? Well, I find now that it's a detriment if you use it to derive your own self-value and worth. You know, I mean, now uh, where I'm not lining up against someone to run the 40-yard dash, the competition becomes playing the comparison game. And, you know, as a keynote speaker, uh, if I start to compare myself to other keynote speakers and, you know, compare, well, how big are their audiences and how much do they get paid and how many Instagram followers do they have, that if, if you're constantly playing that game, you'll lose. I mean, because you'll eventually find someone that is doing better than you in basically any external metric. And if you don't believe me, I mean, just look at LeBron James. In all of his greatness, LeBron is a once-in-a-generation type athlete, and he can't even escape the comparison to Michael Jordan. Like, you can't even bring up LeBron's name without some knucklehead saying, well, he's not as good as Jordan. And, and whether or not that's true is a completely separate argument. But can we just take a moment to admit that watching LeBron James, uh, we're seeing something that is absolutely remarkable, that he is a phenomenal athlete, a phenomenal basketball player, and certainly uh, someone that's had a huge impact just on culture and society. So for me, um, I am very competitive with myself, competitive about giving my best effort, competitive about being very prepared for everything that I do, competitive about having the grit and resilience to bounce back from adversity, but I actually try not to compete against my competition, especially in the speaking world, because it, it serves me no benefit. So you just mentioned the competition as far as what you do with preparedness and some of those elements that you take into finding success in your life. Can you talk to me a little bit about your mindset with that competition and how you're able to frame that in order to continue to drive towards that success? Well, my mindset is I just focus on the things I have control over, which if you really break it down is my effort and my attitude. So that's the only thing that I'm competing with is can I give my best effort and can I have my best attitude as consistently as possible? 
That's what's most important to me. And I find that if I can answer yes to those two things very consistently, then I'm usually performing at a pretty high level. And I'm usually pretty thankful for the results. But as soon as I, I take my focus off of my own attitude and effort, and I start worrying about things outside of my control, then my performance starts to suffer. Uh, and when my performance suffer, then my happiness and my fulfillment suffer as well. So uh, I, I'm certainly far from perfect with this. You know, it's, it's I, I don't worry about perfection. I focus more on progress. But to me, that's my mindset. You know, I have what I call or try to have what I call a winner's mindset, which is I'm going to do the best I can with what I have where I am. That's it. I don't make excuses. I don't blame anyone or anything. And I don't uh, complain. I'm going to do the best I can with what I have where I am. And on any day or any specific event, even if it's just for this podcast, you know, when we end this call, if I can say that I did the best I was capable of to deliver value to you and your audience, and I gave you guys everything that I could, then I'm going to consider that a success. Uh, and I'm not going to worry, uh, you know, uh, how many people listen to this or download it. Now, I'm not even going to worry if some of the people listening simply don't resonate with my message and they think, I'm just not into this. Uh, I can't control that part of it. So while I do want to offer as much value, and of course, I want as many people to listen as possible, and I want those people to feel like they got something valuable from this, from their time invested, I don't control that part of it. So uh, I just let that go. So right now, all I focus on is being in the present moment with you doing everything in my power to give you my best effort and have my best attitude, deliver as much value as I can. And then once that's done, it's out of my control. I no longer worry about it. I love that. Now I want to flip it on its head a little bit. Let's talk about quitting. Is it ever applicable to quit? Absolutely. Of course it is. And, uh, you know, I, I understand when we see these, you know, these Nike t-shirts or these Facebook memes that say never quit, never give up. I understand the general premise behind them. And I think the general premise is usually, hey, if things get a little tough, don't just call it a day and quit and, and bag it, especially if it's something you're passionate about. I, I understand it, but it's hard not to take it too literally. You know, yes, there are plenty of things you should quit. Uh, you know, first and foremost, I mean, think of any bad habit that you have. Anything that you're doing right now that does not serve you and does not help you become your best self is probably something you should quit. Uh, and I say that with a smile because I know whoever has that Nike t-shirt, that's not what they mean by it. But but let's keep going. You know, uh, uh, let's say that you're pursuing something and then you come to the realization that you're pursuing the wrong thing uh, or that this thing is, no, is not a good fit for you. Well, should you keep doing it anyway? You know, I, I don't know about you, but I really value my time. So if, if I pop on a new uh, a movie on Netflix and I get 30 minutes into it and I think, boy, this movie sucks. This is a total dud. I'm not going to waste another hour of my time to finish watching it. I'm going to press stop and I'm going to move on to something else. I'm going to quit watching that movie because it's no longer a good investment of my time or my effort. And I would say that about anything. You know, if, if, if you're working for someone right now uh, and you find out that the person you work for uh, has a different set of core values and beliefs than you do. That, that they, you know, they want you to do things that you don't believe are ethical or moral or not in alignment with your value system. Should you keep working there? I would argue, no, you shouldn't. You should probably quit and find somewhere else to work that is in more alignment with your beliefs and your core values. So, you know, uh, and then the last thing I'll say, you know, uh, you know, if you find 
enjoyment in something, you know, it doesn't matter if you're going to be world class at it. So some people think, you know, that we should only do things that we want to be great at. But if you find enjoyment in doing something, then that would actually be an example of something you don't necessarily have to quit. You know, uh, if you enjoy playing the piano, even if you're not going to be a world class pianist, you know, you don't need to quit in that case. Keep doing it because it's something you enjoy and you're getting something out of it. So uh, I hope that put a little context into kind of this mindset of never quit because uh, I, I don't agree with that. I think there are plenty of examples of times we should pivot and find something else to do. Awesome. Yeah, I love that. Can we dive a little bit more into the enjoyment part? Can you tell me a time or a story that you found enjoyment in something that you were not anticipating you would? And maybe even you had a, a dreadful anticipation going into uh, an event or an activity, but then once you immerse yourself in it, you found joy in that. Before I answer that, because I'm actually going to need a few seconds to think because it, it, nothing jumps out at me, uh, but you did say something very insightful that I'd love to touch on first. And that is, uh, I do try to enter most things with very limited anticipation and limited expectations for a variety of reasons. One, uh, I don't want to have a preconceived notion of it. I just want to go and be fully present uh, and, and hopefully enjoy whatever it is I'm about to experience, but not have to compare it to did I think it, it was going to be this and did it live up to this or, or was it better or worse? Like, I just don't want to, to worry about that stuff. So for me, I try to temper expectations and anticipation so that I can be fully present, fully in the moment and take the entire experience in. And then certainly afterwards, I can reflect on it and evaluate and say, you know, wow, that was that was a really cool experience. I'd love to do that again uh, versus versus not. Um, uh, I'll give you an example. So I was just in Utah these last couple of days uh, doing one of the first in-person events I've done in a long time. And one of the nightly activities uh, was to play pickleball. And I don't know if you've ever heard of pickleball. Uh, it, it happens to be statistically the fastest growing sport in the United States. And I kind of loosely heard of it, but didn't really know what it was. You know, my, the only understanding I had was it's kind of a combination between ping pong and tennis. You know, it's, it's like a smaller tennis court, but you're playing with kind of a bigger ping pong paddle and you're using a wiffle ball and it has slightly different rules than both, but I didn't really know much about it. And, you know, I tried not to really build much up in my mind ahead of time, but I went and I played for a couple hours and, and I had an absolute blast. Uh, I mean, it was so much fun. Um, and, and I've never really played tennis and I've only played ping pong, you know, maybe a couple of dozen times in the last 45 years. So I wasn't very experienced in either of the games that you could compare it to. So I really was kind of a, a clean slate. And I didn't know if I was going to love it or hate it, but I didn't attach myself to either one of those outcomes. I just went and I played and uh, it just so happens that I, I really enjoyed it and found it to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Finding a variety of experiences and never knowing where they take you is the journey and, and the ride that is ultimately what opens our eyes to more learning, which is... Absolutely a big part of, you know, what I would like to accomplish here. And so this next question is a little bit different, changing gears when you're competing, whether it's in pickleball or with your children, or if you're playing pickup hoops, whatever it might be, are you driven by the fear of losing or the joy of winning? I would say at this point, I'm not even, I'm not driven by either. I'm, I'm driven more just by the sheer experience. You know, am I having fun? 
in the case of saying playing pickup basketball or something, am I getting some good exercise? Am I enjoying the camaraderie? Am I doing the best that I'm capable of? Now, with that said, uh, I still want to win and I still do everything I can to play my best and give our team the best chance to be successful. And I want to win, but I don't let whether I win or lose affect my happiness of the experience. And, and I know to some people that's kind of a turnoff. I know some people are so competitive. They're like, the only reason I'm here is to win this pickup basketball game. And that's fine. I don't say that with any judgment, but that's not the only reason I'm there. I'm there to build some fellowship with the other guys. I'm there to get some good exercise. I'm there to maybe try a new move and, and have some fun. Um, so for me, it's, it's much more about the experience. Uh, I do think in general, um, with many of the high performers that I've had a chance to work with, most of them have told me uh, that it's the, the pain of losing is a much sharper sensation than the joy of winning. That, that losing is gut-wrenching and can take a long time to get over. And yeah, winning feels good, but they're quickly moving to the next thing because, and part of it goes back to expectation. They've put in so much time and effort. They expect to win every time they hit the court. You know, when they don't win, that's why it's so painful for them. So uh, for me, uh, as competitive as I am with myself, uh, I try not to let that and, and outcomes in general dictate my happiness or fulfillment. I really try to detach from outcomes, you know. So uh, even if you were to tell me, Alan, we're going to go down to the park and it's going to be a beautiful day and we got a really good group of guys that we're going to play with and you're going to get a great sweat and you're going to have a lot of fun. But, oh, yeah, you're going to lose every single game. I'd still go and I'd still play. If, if you had a crystal ball and you could predict that that's what was going to happen, I would still go with no hesitation because those things are more important to me than, than the actual winning of a pickup game. Now, I'm curious if you've had that outlook your entire life and it's something that was instilled with you as a child or if there was a moment or a certain period in your life where that transition occurred from that gut-wrenching competitiveness that you just mentioned to enjoying the process. Are you able to recall that at all or has it been a lifelong no, it's definitely not been lifelong. I mean, this is something that's rather newfound. I mean, I can I can remember vividly losing games as a child or even up in high school and literally being brought to tears because I was so upset that I lost and so angry that I lost. And many times I would unfortunately direct that out by complaining about the referee or the coach or blaming the floor was too slippery or making an excuse like, I mean, no. So I'm thankful that this is somewhat that's rather, you know, this is rather newfound. Um, uh, but a lot of it has to do with when I was younger, I would put my own self-worth in the hands of outcomes and results. If I got an A on the test, then I was smart. If I didn't, then I wasn't. If we won the basketball game, then I was a good player. If we lost, then I wasn't. And, and I'm thankful that I've been able to reprogram myself because uh, I don't think that's an incredibly uh, healthy outlook to have. You know, the way you feel about yourself should not ebb and flow with the results that you get. You know, now my self-worth is derived from, you know, am I living out my values and my beliefs? Am I giving a great effort and having a great attitude? You know, am I doing everything I can to add value to the world and to be my best self? That's the only yardstick at which I measure myself now. Uh, and And for me, that allows for more consistent high performance, but it certainly allows for more consistent happiness and fulfillment. Because no matter who you are and, and no matter what you do, you are going to win and you're going to lose. And yes, some people tend to win more than they lose, um, but you should not feel less about yourself uh, in that moment 
just because you didn't get the outcome that you wanted. So we just talked a little bit about transitioning through life and your mental state of how things occur with you and what you want out of that. And just in general, about things that you believe in, what is something recently that you've changed your mind about? And what is that and why or what made you change your mind about something? Oh, boy. Uh, you ask really, really terrific questions. I, I love I love the insight and I, I love the, the innovative way that you approach these things. Um, nothing is jumping to mind at present, but I can tell you that I do change my mind. I won't say frequently, uh, but I certainly am always open to new ways of doing things. And I'm always open to hearing the other side and other people's perspectives. Uh, I don't believe that I have all the answers. I don't believe that everything I do is necessarily the right way or the best way. At this moment, at 45 years old, I do the best that I know how to do with what I've got. Um, but I also want to make sure that I'm growing and changing. You know, uh, I don't want to be the same person today uh, that I was five years ago. I want to show that I've evolved and that I've grown and that I've matured. Uh, and same thing from in the future. You know, we're having this delightful conversation right now. Um, I'm hoping that I'm a better person five years from now because I've made some of those little tweaks and those changes. Um, you know, nothing is jumping out on me uh, as of recent, um, but I can even, you know, I can think of a couple of examples uh, even back in my basketball training days. You know, I remembered I was initially, uh, I was very pro ankle brace. I thought that logically it made sense that if players wore ankle braces, it would reduce the occurrence of them rolling their ankle or spraining their ankle. And I used to preach that from the, you know, from the rafters. And then over time, I, I came across some information that said, no, it's actually the opposite. That when you lock the ankle up in a brace, you're going to weaken that ankle. You're going to make it less mobile. And now you're actually going to start to cause some issues in some other joints like the knees and back. And, and that convinced me to have a completely different point of view. To the point that, you know, I'm at a clinic talking about how great ankle braces are. And six months later, I'm at a clinic talking about how no one should ever wear ankle braces. But I would pepper in the fact that, hey, if you were at this clinic six months ago and you think that I'm telling you a completely different story, you are correct. And the reason I'm telling you a different story is I have a change of heart and a change of perspective because I've come across some new information that, that has changed my mind. And that, that hopefully is a really crystallized example. Um, and I'm sure I, I can think of at least another dozen things that have happened since then that I've changed my stance on. And I'm okay with that. See, some people mistakenly call that uh, being a hypocrite. Well, you're being a hypocrite if you said that you're not supposed to wear, or you were supposed to wear ankle braces and now you're not. And, and I don't consider that a hypocrite. I consider that someone who has evolved, someone who's grown, and someone that has learned new information. So when we take new information, we often have ideas and ways to implement them. And a lot of people can have ideas. How do you go about moving ideas into action? Well, at my current age at 45, and, and now I have, you know, decent life experience, um, I have pretty concrete values and beliefs and principles, like a, an operating system, if you will, on how I believe I should lead my life. With that, one of my core beliefs is to be as open as possible and be very uh, aggressive and voracious in taking in new information. Uh, so I read a lot of books. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I watch a lot of documentaries. You know, I, I'm doing everything I can to take in new information. And all new information that comes in is going to do a couple of things. 
One, it's either going to confirm and affirm a current belief that I have. You know, so you say something and I listen to you and I go, you know what? That basically confirms the way I was doing it. So that's one thing. Uh, you could also say something that actually is the polar opposite of what it is that I believe. Uh, so I believe you should wear ankle braces. You're telling me that you shouldn't. So now I need to have the humility and the openness to go, okay, this goes against what I currently believe. Let me learn as much about this as possible. You know, why does he think that you should be doing it this way? Or what proof does he have or evidence does he have? And then I can actually run it through that filter of discernment and ask myself, you know, uh, not necessarily about right or wrong, but, you know, is this something, is this a legitimate challenge to what I currently believe? And if so, I want to explore it even more. Uh, if not, then that's okay. That might even give me stronger convictions into what I currently believe. And then really the only third option is to get something brand new uh, that you really haven't even thought of or heard of. It's not part of your current operating system. It's not part of your current beliefs. Uh, and you think, okay, does this align with what I believe? Is this something that fits nicely into this jigsaw puzzle of my life? So all new information is either something that affirms what you believe, uh, contradicts or challenges what you believe, or is brand new. And I happen to look at all three of those things as a really good thing. None of that offends me. So I always want to stay as open as I can to getting new information and then just simply deciding what to do with it. So speaking of what to do with it, can you talk to me about some upcoming projects that you have and your motivation with them? The one that comes to mind immediately is I'm working on a second book. Uh, so I wrote a book called Raise Your Game, High Performance Secrets from the Best of the Best. And that came out uh, just over two years ago. And, and really the, the book is designed to teach someone how to get to peak performance uh, in sports or business or life. Uh, now I'm doing a follow-up to that book and it's called Sustain Your Game. And it's about how you manage stress and avoid stagnation and beat burnout. So really this book is once you've reached high performance, how can you not only stay there, but continue to gradually improve uh, and still love what you do? So that's something I've been working, you know, pretty, had some pretty good focus on for these last six to eight months and really enjoying the process of learning and uncovering everything that it takes to sustain your game. So I'll get you out of here with one final fun question may make you sure. think a little bit and keep you on your toes here with some of the other questions <laughs> we've had. So in a hypothetical world, I need you to use your imagination. You open a refrigerator at some point in your life and you look into that refrigerator. What one item in that refrigerator best represents who you are as a person and what you want to accomplish as a person? So basically compare who I am and who I want to be with a food. No, to an item in the refrigerator. Oh, to an item in the refrigerator. So it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be food. Okay. Um, You're one of the very few people that picked up on that. Interesting. Okay. Um, I mean, for me, it's hard for me to think of anything outside of food because personally, that's all I keep in my refrigerator. Uh, you know, and, and now my brain's trying to race on what other things would one keep in a refrigerator outside of, of something that nourishes the body. So it's hard for me to escape that. Uh, and I will say, um, I, I believe in, in mind, body and, uh, spiritual fitness, if you will. Like, I think that all of these things are connected. So because of that, uh, I'm a fairly fit 45 year old. Uh, and that's not by accident. I exercise regularly and I eat you know, fairly clean most of the time. 
So my refrigerator is usually full of pretty healthy foods. You know, it's not the the typical bachelor where you'd open it up and see six packs of beer and, you know, leftover pizza. You know, I have pretty healthy stuff. Uh, and so, uh, boy, um, I mean, I'm really at a loss. Uh, and part of this is I'm not an incredibly creative guy, as you're probably starting to figure out. I mean, I'm I'm a very linear thinker. So I... I mean, I don't, I don't even know what to tell you. I mean, I think that plays into the answer. Then it doesn't necessarily have to be something that's extravagant, right? It can be something that is common. Oh, absolutely. And, and the only thing I'm going towards, I would say, it would basically be anything uh, that would add health and nourishment to the body, like something that would actually that if you eat it, you're going to enjoy eating it uh, because it tastes good, but it's also going to be good for you and it's going to make you feel better. And and certainly you know, as a human being, that's kind of how I live my life. Like I'd like to be someone that adds value to others, that makes other people feel better, that, that gives them something that can allow them to be their, their best selves. So yeah, I'm, I'm probably the, the lamest answer. That's probably the lamest answer you've ever gotten on this podcast. So if anything, I'll stick out by my incredible lameness, but I don't even know what to tell you there, Billy. Well, well, that's unique too. And and that works out fine. So I wanted to finish uh, and we emailed a little bit about the, or I guess I messaged you about some of the things you've talked about with your kids and youth sports, right? Can you elaborate on, on what you talk about with your kids, with youth sports? Uh, I, I think that's so important and things are a roller coaster. and, you know, we're going through a time of youth sports where everybody wants to be involved and everybody wants to be the best. And, and it has to level itself out. And some of the things that I've heard you talk about, I think are really important. And I just like you to share that with people as far as being a parent, uh, you know, as somebody who was an athlete and has worked with high level athletes, but also who has kids who want to accomplish their own things and what you're telling them and how you're advising them. Well, first and foremost, I, I don't push or force my kids into anything. I want them to find their own path and want them to fall in love with whatever they want to do uh, just as organically and naturally as I did falling in love with basketball when I was really young. Uh, so I encourage them. I support them. If they want to try something new, you know, I've got their back 100%, uh, but I don't, I don't lean them in any direction. Once they've decided that they want to try something, and it doesn't even have to just be a sport. You know, they might uh, want to try something outside of sport, something in the arts or something in music or, or something in, in computers or coding or, or whatever it may be. Uh, I, I'll, follow, I'll follow the same principles. But really, I have four rules when it comes to my kids participating in something. Uh, and I ask them this after every practice or workout or lesson or activity or game. Uh, number one, did you have fun? Uh, I want you to play because you actually enjoy the experience. Uh, number two. Did you give it your best effort? You know, if you're going to be there, then I want you to try your best. Uh, Number three, were you coachable? Did you listen to the instructor, the trainer, the coach, the teacher? And number four, were you a good teammate? Or did you make everyone else around you better? Uh, So even if it's an individual sport where they're not necessarily on a team, did you do something to add value to someone else there? Did you smile at someone? Did you give them a high five? Did you tell them a good job when it was their turn? So as long as my kids can say, uh, we had fun, we gave a great effort, we were very coachable, and we made other people better. That's my four. That, that's the four checks I'm looking to get. And if they can consistently say the, yes to those four things, then I'll continue to support them with everything that I've got. Uh, anytime they start saying no to those things, uh, then that will no longer be something they'll have an opportunity to do. So your kids know those questions are coming. Oh, are, yeah. Are, are they, 
thinking about that throughout their process, whether it's a tournament during the day or whatever event that they're at, or are they actually spending time with you in the car afterward reflecting upon it that now that they know that that's coming? It's a little bit of both. I mean, one, um, I want to model for them that those are the things that are important to me as their father. So I only praise them for giving a good effort and for being coachable and for, for being a good teammate and for having fun. Uh, I don't care how many points they score. I don't care if they win or lose. I never talk about that with them. Now, those things might be important to them and that's for them to decide. And they might choose to be upset that they lost the game or they might choose to cry because they, they missed the shot. Uh, that's, I'm not going to ever tell them how to feel. That's completely on them. But they have seen through enough sheer repetition from me that that's not what I'm interested in. So I only ask them the things that are important to me. And, you know, I have twin sons that will be 11 in a couple of weeks, and I have a daughter that will be nine this summer. Uh, so, so they're still pretty young, but we've still gotten enough repetition that they pretty much know those are the only questions I ask. And, you know, uh, because I always want them to feel how they want to feel, if they're upset about losing and they want to talk about it, that's fine. I'm very open to that. But they know that's not what I value and that's not what I care about. And uh, so with that, I, I think it's a little bit of both. You know, I think it's normal for an 11 year old to have some competitiveness and to be upset when they miss a shot and to, to be upset when they lose. As I've already told you, that's exactly how I was when I was younger. But then I just take a step out and just say, hey, you have every right to be upset if you want. But just know that I, I don't think that's as important as you may think it is right now. And and the funny thing is to anyone listening that thinks you know, that I'm taking this very Pollyanna approach and that, that I think that, that life is all puppy dogs and ice cream, those same four questions to me are the most important questions, even of the most elite athletes, you know, because if you take an elite athlete, if they're having fun while they're playing and they're playing as hard as they can, and they are listening to their coach so that they can develop and they care about getting other people better, they will be the best player that they're capable of. And when you are the best player you're capable of, then the winning takes care of itself. Making shots takes care of itself. So I'm certainly not here preaching that winning doesn't matter and it's not important and, and it doesn't matter if you miss 40 shots. I'm not saying that. I'm saying if the goal is to be your best self, those things just naturally take care of themselves. They are a byproduct of giving your best effort and of being coachable and of having fun and of being a good teammate. So having twins is a very unique situation. And I imagine it's very fulfilling and also very challenging. Can you tell us about a time where you were just utterly challenged by your twins because of some element that comes up because of that dynamic and you had to completely go outside your comfort zone to find a solution for them? Uh, you know, for the most part, because they're boys and because they're twins and because they're younger, I mean, they have a tremendous amount of energy. So they're always like wrestling and fighting with each other. Uh, most of the time, I mean, it's not even in a, uh, in a in a negative way. That's just their way of expending energy. So most of it's just about energy management, uh, especially during this pandemic where so many people have been locked indoors like caged beasts. You know, it's it's really it's really challenging for boys of that age. Uh, where I'm very fortunate, um, they have very they have similar interests in some areas. Like they like some gaming and some Fortnite but they're very different when it comes to sport. Uh, so they don't really compete with each other, which for that, I'm kind of thankful. 
you know, when, when I was in high school, two of my best friends were twins and mm. one was the quarterback and one was the running back. One was the pitcher and one was the catcher. You know, one was the point guard. One was the shooting guard. They did everything together and they were so competitive with each other. You know, I just felt like that was a, a whole nother layer of pressure uh, of not only trying to be better than everyone else, but trying to be better than your brother who you share DNA with. Uh, so as a father, I'm actually kind of thankful uh, that, that the, you know, my sons uh, don't feel that inherent competitiveness uh, so much in sport. They do in some other areas, but not so much in sport. So, you know, with that, uh, you know, uh, parenting is hard for a variety of different reasons. But the only way that I found to simplify it is to decide what matters most to me as a parent. And, and boil that down to a, a very small handful of core beliefs and values. And those are really the only things that I worry about. I don't focus on the minutia of all the other stuff that a lot of parents get worried about. And you could probably see that, that, that my core beliefs are somewhat of a derivative of those four questions I ask them in sport. I mean, I can apply that to any area of their life, you know, even when you're a student, you know. Uh, I know that one, the, the having fun as a student part might be a little bit challenging at times, but you know, uh, when, when you're given an assignment, do you do your best on it? Uh, do you listen to your teacher and pay attention? And are you a good classmate to those around you? Like that's really all that matters. And as long as my kids can say yes to those things, I don't really worry about anything else. So last question, because I don't want to leave your daughter out of this discussion. Yes, of as course. someone who doesn't have uh, mirror image or someone very similar to them in the house, how does she engage and stay active? Well, my daughter's at present, she's a beautiful combination between being a little bit of a tomboy and she loves her big brothers and she, she tries to mimic them and follow them around with everything they do. But she also has a little bit of her girly girlness and, and she likes to wear, you know, uh, uh, some pink clothes and she likes to wear some dresses and she likes to do her hair, you know, so she's a nice combination of both. Uh, which, uh, of course, I'm thankful for. And, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, as far as the dynamics concerned, you know, I make sure that my, my sons really understand uh, how to be very respectful of their sister, because uh, I want to make sure that they grow up and are very respectful of women in everything that they do. Uh, and, and with my daughter, one of the messages that I try to preach the most is, and I think every father believes their daughter is beautiful. And they absolutely should, because in your eyes, they should be. But I try not to praise my daughter for, for what she looks like. And you know, do I think my daughter's beautiful? Of course I do. Do I think she's cute? Of course I do. But I try not to praise that and instead praise her other attributes, like her work ethic, her sense of humor, her empathy, uh, for a couple of reasons. One, as her father, I don't want her self-worth tied to what she looks like. I don't want her to think, if people think I'm beautiful, then I'm good. If people think I'm ugly, then I'm bad. I don't want her to feel that way. Uh, and because your, your looks can be taken from you at any time. You know, you can be in some type of accident or something that can happen uh, and get a scar, whatever, and it can change. And, and I don't want someone's self-worth uh, to be associated with that. And, and the reason I, I highlight that more with my daughter is I just think the way society is structured we tend to emphasize aesthetics with women more than we do with men. And, and, and I don't agree with that nor, nor champion that, but that's kind of the way of the world. So I'm trying to plant these seeds early. And I still tell her she's, you know, if she puts on a, a bow in her hair and say, you look beautiful. Uh, it's not about abstaining from that. It's about balancing that with, that's not the only thing I tell her. 
When she gives a good effort, I praise her effort. Uh, when she shows empathy or compassion to someone, I, I make sure I praise that. Uh, if she says something funny, I praise her sense of humor. Um, I praise her effort. You know, so to me, it's about praising the process with any of my children and not worrying so much about outcomes. And, and that kind of makes up my the, the foundation of my parenting belief with one other foundational principle. And, and hopefully this is a good note uh, uh, to end on. Uh, I'm a very hands-off parent. I want my children to make most of their decisions on their own because I want them to learn through sheer repetition that everything you decide, every decision you make in life is going to have some type of consequence. I mean, some consequences are good. You know, if you choose to eat a healthy breakfast in the morning, the consequence of that is you feel good and you have high energy and you're incredibly alert. That's the consequence. That is a great result to have. If you choose not to eat a healthy breakfast or skip breakfast completely, the consequence is you feel lethargic, you have trouble focusing, you, you have low energy. So I don't make my kids eat breakfast. And when they choose to eat, I don't tell them what they eat. I let them make that decision. And then over time, they're going to learn the skill of making good decisions. And, and I believe that might be the most important skill any of us can have. Uh, and I, I've said this at a, at a high school graduation commencement, and I say it to my kids all of the time. Uh, if you make good decisions consistently, you will have a good life. If you make great decisions consistently, you'll have a great life. Uh, but then, of course, the inverse is true. When you make poor decisions consistently, life is going to be really, really hard on you. And, and I want my kids to have ownership over their lives, ownership over their decisions. So within reason... And I have to pepper that in there. I'm not letting my nine-year-old daughter get a tattoo, just in case anyone is wondering. Uh, I let them make those type of decisions because I want them to control their own future. And then for, for that, I simply model the same thing. And I try to do my best to model good decision-making in front of my children as often as I can. Perfect. Thank you for wrapping that up with a beautiful ribbon for us. If people want to reach out and follow with what you're doing, where can they find you? Uh, the easiest hub is simply my website, which is allensteinjr.com. Uh, you can also check out strongerteam.com for some additional resources. Uh, I also have a podcast. It's called The Raise Your Game Show. Uh, you can easily find that wherever you listen to podcasts. And it's basically a verbal and audio version uh, of the same concepts in my book, which is called Raise Your Game, High Performance Secrets from the Best of the Best. And then I'm very active on social media. Uh, so you can follow me at allensteinjr on Instagram or Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn. Uh, certainly, if any part of this conversation resonated, uh, shoot me a DM on social if you want to continue the discussion uh, or ask any questions. I certainly love meeting and engaging with people on social. Awesome. I will link those accounts in the show notes. Cool. Thank you so much for coming on The Competitive Mindset. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Next time on Competitive Mindset. Success builds success as long as you stay humble about it. Competitive Mindset Music was produced by DJ Jojo Moore, and all images were created by Elena Keel. Be sure to subscribe, rate, leave a review, and follow us at CompetitivePod.com.